Hi everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rocrow. And we made it. We are here. It is our season finale. The Oscars happened last night, the 95th Academy Awards, and we are going to break it all down, share our thoughts about the winners, the ceremony, how we're feeling, and we'll also answer some listener questions. Yeah, it's great to be on this side of things. I'm excited to break things down, but I think I'm more excited to hear from our guest, Bennett Prosser. He's back with us once more, one final time this season. Bennett, welcome back, and what did you think of yesterday? Hi, thanks for having me. Like I said, we got a press release from the uh, from the Academy, dropped my, <laughs> my inbox so I with the Zoom link, so I joined. The recoil that I felt when you said, always counting down to next year's Oscars, I know that's that's not the, yet, the motto. Yeah. I know that's the point, but I'm going to ask you guys to not count down. <laughs> We're just going to cut that let's particularly just, brutal. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Let's count. Let's just go negatives. We're we're counting down. We're negative one until this last year of the Oscars, please. But yeah, I'm feeling pretty okay. I tried to think of some other quip to start my hello with, trying to go off of some quote from last night or something, but I couldn't think of a quote that came out of the ceremony or like some other big thing to riff off of which maybe will be a theme of it just being a real down the middle show at -hmm. least um we'll talk about the winners but like maybe for the best that it is not putting too many ripples out there but i'm feeling pretty good i had acupuncture this afternoon i did not schedule that with like plans for it to be right after the oscars it just happened and so i'm feeling very zen feeling like very buttery and just have happy to debrief that's a great thing to plan the day after the oscars because one you never know what's going to happen but two like mm-hmm. why not we need it it's been a long season it always is mm-hmm. the two of you should get a massage everything (laughs) go to the chiropractor yeah i feel like i do need some sort of spa day or rest Mm -hmm. and relaxation Mm -hmm. after this yeah it's been an interesting season i think that in a lot of ways it was so much less painful than last season last season i feel like it all just hit all at once at the end and it was particularly tough but this season i feel like even though we ended up with everything everywhere all at once winning everything at the end the season itself was pretty spread out with the major precursors and i feel like that did introduce some variety and elements of surprise in key races that are typically locked up by oscar night so whether i'm happy with all of the results or not is another story but i feel like going into the ceremony i was much more relaxed and at ease than i have been recently Maybe I'm growing. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Learning from past mistakes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it just made everything more enjoyable and exciting too. Like the precursors, not knowing what was going to happen on Oscar night. And like now that we know the winners and what happened and that things weren't spread out, I think I'm more okay with that than I have been in years past. Because also, I think in years past, specifically last year, we were more worried about certain races upsetting. And I think there was more potential for an upsetting winner to actually win. And this year, there was some more diversity. And while there were more potential for riots to happen, if a different winner had happened, as we were approaching the Oscars, it became more and more aware that that might not happen. 
So it did feel different in certain ways compared to previous years. Did you feel better because the crisis team was in place (laughs) just in case? No, I think it was just Jenny. (laughs) I think having her there, our emotional support donkey. Yes, she made it all better. She will come up later for me when we talk about some of our favorite (laughs) moments at the Oscars. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think just just to recap the winners, everything, everywhere, all at once, completely dominated with seven wins in picture, director, original screenplay, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, and film editing. This is an insane collection of Oscars. And it is the most above-the-line wins in Oscar history. It's the third film to win three acting Oscars after Network and A Streetcar Named Desire. And you might realize neither of those films won Best Picture. So Mm. it also beat them there, which is just crazy. And A24 is also the first studio to nab all four acting awards. I'm going to pretend one of those didn't happen, but maybe two of them. But um, yeah, that's also another... (laughs) crazy stat they did a great job campaigning this year it's almost like a new era big five winner right because we only have three of those so the fact that we have these three that you mentioned with the acting but it's almost like a collection of those yeah and then the other big winner of the night was all quiet on the western front with four wins in international feature score cinematography and production design it's kind of crazy that they didn't spread the wealth Let's talk about everything everywhere all at once first, because I think All Quiet on the Western Front is a different animal, and seeing how that played out during the show was Mm -hmm. an experience, Mm -hmm. and it really kind of shifted things, I think, when you were watching the show with where the momentum was going, and if we had, you know, another award season villain brewing or waiting in the wings. But yeah, what do you guys think of these wins for everything everywhere all at once? It's a very atypical winner in a lot of ways, right? It's from virtually unknown filmmakers to the Academy, a young duo who has never been nominated before. It's a sci-fi film. It's full of first-time nominees. It's a film that, you know, on paper doesn't seem like anything the Academy would touch. And I know we were thinking earlier in the season, like, will the Academy go for a movie with butt plugs and hot dog hands? And... Mm -hmm. They did, but I think a bigger thing is, like, at the core of the story, it is an Oscar film. Like, it's a story about a family and about connection and about the American dream in a lot of ways. And those themes have always resonated with voters. And I feel like the way things came together for this film, it's sort of unlike anything I've ever seen. And I guess I kind of want to know if you guys think, like, is this an anomaly? Is this something that is a one-off one year where they just really love a film like this and we're not going to see something like this happen again? Or are we entering a new era? I feel like we're going to see the pendulum swing a few times between if everything everywhere is one end of that pendulum swing, then maybe, you know, for example, maybe next year it's the most classic. It's the all quiet on the Western front, but made in English. Um, you know, like it, Oppenheimer. It, <laughs> Oh my god. It's <laughs> the first thing that Just came to my mind. Well, yeah, or it's I don't we'll see what happens with Killers of the Flower Moon, but it's something that is predicted 3 years out that is just pedigree and exactly what they want and good hopefully but like on that complete opposite side and then maybe it's just pinballing maybe not back and forth between those two extremes but just kind of all over the place 
for the next bit, at least. I'm thinking maybe in a little less political of a sense, but it, I'm thinking back to when Moonlight won, uh, and then the next year Green Book won, that that was a hard pendulum swing to me that maybe was a little, you know, could have been a little more politically or kind of um, generational uh, in its in kind of how it got to that point of, of those two winning. But yeah, I, I think I'm excited to see where we go. I think it definitely seems over at least the past couple of years have shown that it is about kind of passion that gets something mm-hmm. to do really well at the end. And maybe less of what we've seen over the past 15 years, like you mentioned, spreading the wealth, that there has been a, a nice anointed winner, but we really want to celebrate everyone here. That's what it's been for a while. And the past couple of years, maybe it's a post-COVID thing. We want, we all want to make our passion project or the, the thing that we that we love the most and, and really surge behind it. That seems to have happened over the past couple of years. So I don't know. Nick, what do you think? I'm curious if like this is really a product of diversifying the academy and adding younger members and that being why the pendulum is swinging too because i feel like as this continues to happen as these younger movies from newer filmmakers continue to win we have to look back and say okay maybe coda wasn't a far swing from where we're headed even though it seems like it's so different from either something that we wanted to win or that we expected to win based on past winners. Yeah, the fact that we're talking about two movies here, one, an international player in German, and two, Everything Everywhere, a cast of mostly, almost all Asian actors or Asian American actors. It's just nothing we've ever seen before. And we can talk about Michelle's win and how legendary and iconic that is and how that may change the game. And one other stat that is potentially a game changer with everything everywhere that I don't think you mentioned Sophia is that it was released in March which is the earliest release date for a best picture winner since Silence of the Lambs which mm. was released in February in its year and mm-hmm. that was such a big deal that it lasted the whole time I don't know if there's any comparison other than that between the two but it's been over 30 years since that happened so when it happened last time in February in the 90s that it's not like that made a new trend and that was always happening. But I wonder if we're at the point now where, because there's so many other things about this movie that indicate a change in taste or a change in strategy or work, you know, all of that, that Mm -hmm. if that's something that can sustain and we don't just keep getting holiday release winners. Right. Yeah. That's something I was thinking about too, because unfortunately I was reading anonymous ballots and a thing that really struck me that kept coming up was I didn't like it the first time but then I watched it again and then I watched it the third time and I really liked it on the third time or another ballot that would say I love this movie so much that I've seen it 15 times Mm -hmm. things like that and when you hear or read statements like that over and over again you think oh it's an advantage to have your movie come out early because you grow to love it more and you get to experience it more over time. Now, there's it's a double-edged sword because if your movie comes out earlier too, you have the opportunity to really, I don't know, garner controversy and get backlash and realize that, you know, you have you're an early front runner and what do front runners do? They fade. But this really that never happened to this movie. And I know we've talked about it before on this show and people have described it as sort of this David and Goliath type of movie. 
And those movies don't come around very often. It's in that way, I think, very rare. So I'll definitely be thinking about movies like that that come out throughout the year that might have that potential. But yeah, this, I think it really benefited from so much. But a lot of the things like release date and things that you would think would work against it actually worked in its favor, which is pretty crazy. And we'll wrap up this episode with the draft and how all of that shook out. But related to that, I remember when we picked everything everywhere and it was our last film choice and we were like, well, you know, it'll pick up indies. Like, why not? (laughs) A lot of those Mm -hmm. smaller ceremonies that it's like, okay, maybe they can add up over time. So I think that quality of this movie is like we slash maybe most people never expected it to go that far. And I think that helped it from not being that front runner early on with the potential for it to fade. I think that's another important element here. And I guess something related to this, it's not technically from a streamer, but I think as more films are available to watch on different platforms or at home, I think that'll help one with release dates, but also just more people to watch and get involved like they did this year, way more so than years in the past. You mentioned Killers of the Flower Moon, again, Apple, like Coda. So I think if there's that shift there, it allows for people to revisit these movies too. And A24 is kind of special. They have like their own little platform with VOD Mm -hmm. and that's a little different. But like you were saying, people continue to go see this movie on re-release and just fell and kept falling in love. Speaking of streamers, All Quiet on the Western Front. The funniest thing about this movie to me is that Netflix almost stumbled upon it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it seems, right? Because earlier in the season, in our draft, for instance, we picked Bardo. You think Mm -hmm. Netflix bought the In Your Ritu movie? Like, that spells Oscars, right? Huge, yeah. Previous winner, massive, right? It's his autobiographical story. But no, and as, as Netflix films kept premiering and... Some they found success with, but none really in Best Picture. Like, Bardo got poor reviews out of Venice. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was always a success in animated feature, but wasn't hitting in picture categories. Glass Onion is a comedy, and it's a sequel. Blonde, highly controversial, even though they got the actress nomination for Ana de Armas. So then we have All Quiet on the Western Front, and... It's just, it's sort of interesting to me how this was the movie that scooped up all of these technical prizes that, I don't know, I I mean, I didn't expect it to get production design, for instance. Right. And it was one that we heard, I think, when when I was on this podcast, and their shortlists had come out, and it was on all of the technical shortlists that they do. And Mm -hmm. I remember us talking about, like, wow, hmm, like... Maybe we should watch this movie. I know I hadn't seen it yet. I think maybe one or both of you had, but I was like, oh, like maybe they do like it or or is this just a flash in the pan of of a shortlist thing or should we actually pay attention to it? And around that time where all the rumblings had, it was like, oh yeah, the uh, industry seems to really like this movie or the people are really into it who are other filmmakers are liking it, but it had no other... You know, Netflix wasn't marketing it to their viewers or anyone else to go see it in, in their theaters. So it, it seemed like even though it's a, you know, kind of a harsh like German war film, 
which is very much up the Oscars alley and it's very classic in a lot of ways it still is sort of a at least seems to me there's there's something nice about how the industry just kind of put their support behind it sort of organically seemingly Mm -hmm. to me and like I don't know if you know anything different but it wasn't like Netflix was shoving it down their throats it was like they they really liked this movie and respected the craft I think I am a little higher on the movie than the two of you no than Sophia is Nick I know you liked it a lot Mm -hmm. and I I think it's pretty good and like pretty respectable but basically to say that I was happy that it was that it seems to have happened organically the the, how it achieved success and and was kind of outside of all the campaigning compared to everything else that netflix was trying to get to happen Mm -hmm. yeah no i i completely agree with that i think that's the best part of it because Mm -hmm. we are so used to netflix being this like one movie machine where they anoint something early and then that is the presumed front runner until it doesn't get any Oscars at the end. It just gets nominations like The Irishman or The Power of the Dog. And this feels different than that. And we can talk about this when we get to the telecast. The wind was just sort of taken out of my sails because I don't mm-hmm. love the score. And I was really hoping at the end that Mandy Walker could pull it out in cinematography just to be the first woman to win in the category. But alas, that's okay. These aren't bad wins. It just... I wanted things to be a little spicier than the the three-note boom that (laughs) happened every time All Quiet on the Western Front won. (laughs) Yeah, they played it so many times that you could feel it, like, shaking the theater and just bringing the whole, like, such a dour mood to the telecast every time they did it. I think the exciting thing about All Quiet is that we always talk about this international feature and it really did sneak up but the fact that it can win in technical categories and potentially above the line maybe eventually is really exciting and i i really looked to bafta and how much they love the movie and thought i mean while i was scared to predict things like score or production design yeah i still thought like it's going to bleed over a little bit so To see it win production design, you know, you kind of look back to 1917 where that was nominated. It lost to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But being a war film is, I think, a genre that the Academy does love. So I'm not entirely surprised. The other part of that is that they didn't really love Babylon, which we'll get to in a second. So while the Guild members did and awarded it there, overall, you could feel that it was lacking a little bit. So I think that's where it had its chance to like sneak through and pull it off in the end. I agree. We kind of knew they didn't like Babylon, but we didn't know that they didn't like Elvis. So Mm -hmm. I think getting into some films that went home empty handed, we had so many Best Picture nominees that didn't win a single Oscar. Tar, The Fablemans, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Triangle of Sadness. Mm -hmm. To have that many, and especially like, the Banshees of Inisherin did so well with nominations. Mm-hmm. And Fablemans. Yeah, Fablemans missed in a couple I... places, but was loved. Like, it won People's Choice. Tar, surprised in editing and cinematography. The thing, though, for me, really, like, the surprise was just that Elvis didn't win anything. Yeah. Like, that to me was more surprising than Tar, which, like, again, like, Tar is my favorite movie of the year. But when I saw it at New York Film Festival, I never expected it to walk away with multiple Oscars. I thought 
really Kate or bust. So that wasn't as surprising to me. But Elvis, I mean, the crafts on that movie are great. Yeah, and I think during the telecast, we had cinematography first, and that was already more expected to go to All Quiet. But in that moment, I was like, ooh, can Walker take it? And when she didn't, the next two categories were makeup and hairstyling and then costume design. And when Elvis didn't win either of those, I was like, oh, I think Austin's on the chopping block. So just the way the night went, too, I was like, wow, like what happened? Because Elvis won at certain guilds. Like we thought there was some love for it. Yeah. And And like like, BAFTA? Yeah, I don't know. Just absolutely shocking to me as well. And it comes from such a pedigree of like Baz Luhrmann films and their crafts and um, Catherine Martin having won dual Oscars multiple times before Mm -hmm. that it was like, okay, she's up. Like it was just surprising that it didn't go to anything because especially in the crafts, like we're saying a lot of it was up against All Quiet on the Western Front and All Quiet won the couple that they competed in, I guess, production design and cinematography, but I wouldn't have expected it to take... Between the two, I would have expected that the Academy to at least throw something to Elvis. Yeah. So we got we also got a couple of listener questions. We'll answer those throughout the episode. One came from Kenzie. What happened with films like Tar, Elvis, and Banshees that got blanked? I feel like Tar, I sort of explained. Like I felt like that one is just one of those that is always appreciated when it comes to nominations. And then... When the general membership votes, they have a problem with it being too intellectual or too chilly or X, Y, Z. Their lack of intellectual curiosity always baffles me, but that's another story, I suppose. Elvis really doesn't make sense. And I think the Banshees of Inisherin, that is really sad because that was just such a wonderful movie. And I feel like BAFTA showed us that there was some love for it and yes you know it's irish and it's a very uk friendly film i get that but i don't know to see it walk away with nothing i thought was pretty sad especially because in some of the categories where it lost it had the best performance or craft in the category i think at least you could argue that almost all of the banshees nominations it shared with everything everywhere and i think it was just a victim of the complete sweep that everything yeah. everywhere did. The only place that they didn't overlap was in actor where Colin that's Ugh. so <laughs> it's so sad that it didn't happen for him and that not even that he wasn't even in second seemingly. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're going to assume that he was in third and assume that Austin was in second, but Elvis didn't win anything either. So right. Maybe, maybe on the, the, when it came down to it, Austin didn't do as well as we thought, but I mean, we'll never know. So, yeah, I think it's it's a shame. Banshees was my, would have been my vote for in Best Picture of the nominees. So Banshees does feel like that old school or old Hollywood kind of pick as well. And just everything we've talked about so far, like that's not where they wanted things to go. The other part of that is, yeah, while they were all facing off, we had other categories where Kate and Tar was the most likely win for that movie and she was facing off against Michelle a nominee who everyone was rooting for like come all of those anonymous ballots I read so often that it was like it's Michelle's time we want her to win multiple people were like Lydia Tarr wasn't likable 
and Horrible. I want Michelle I, to win. And oh. it was like, it was just shocking that I read that so many times because I didn't expect actual explanations to be like that. So there was mm-hmm. that, but then also, you know, like Angela Bassett facing off of everything everywhere too. And Jamie Lee took it. So I think that was the problem with a lot of these where, I mean, we talk about Black Panther and that was the win that I did not expect for that movie to get out of it. But it's like either giant against other giant in their respective category or just like the overwhelming best picture front runner that everyone's rooting for versus maybe an older type of film that certain groups like, but overall not as much. Our next question so, Bennett, I don't think this listener thought you would be here today, so we're going to put one in for you here. But How dare. The Futurist, the Futurist asked, as a faithful and devoted listener, the Futurist is always concerned with both of the hosts' physical and mental well-being. Therefore, are you both okay after having Tar, I assume that's the one for me, and the Fablemans <laughs> for Nick shut out, <laughs> and Bennett will add Banshees for you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of expected it to get shut out, which is just how the trajectory of the season was going for Spielberg. That was the main one for Fablemans. Seeing Michelle Williams at the show, I was like, damn it, you should have went supporting so you could have just won. <laughs> like, we're at that point where I'm just like, let's just go back on everything we've talked about and make it happen. But yeah, I mean, Tar for me too, I would say, and... I think these are the movies where in other categories besides picture, I think that's the main one where it's like, you know, the good movie doesn't win picture. We'll be talking about that until the end of time. But for five out of the 10 best picture nominees not to have won a single award, I think that is more shocking to me. Well, I mean, yeah, I I prefer a spread of the wealth. Mm-hmm. I just, I like that better. You know, we spend so much time in our contender series going category by category, (laughs) nominee by nominee. And it's just clear that voters don't do that. Like voters just (laughs) vote for the movie that they like. They don't think about the craft necessarily. And they don't think about spreading the wealth. They just like what they like and they check the box. And that is really disheartening to me, I guess. Like just to Mm -hmm. think that you would just want to vote for two movies. I don't know. That's just, it's not how I would do things. I'm also not a voter. So uh, I think with Tar again, I just I'm okay. I am used to my favorite movies losing, so it just <laughs> kind of makes things easier over time. I mean, I do tend to like movies that aren't really received very well by the Academy in general. I mean, Tar was my favorite movie, but a lot of the movies that I liked this year, the Academy wasn't touching at all. I also think that history is really kind to the losers at the Oscars. And sometimes it's kinder to the losers than it is to the winners. But I think for actress in particular, I was happy with the outcome of the night. Much as I love Kate Blanchett and think that her performance as Lydia Tarr is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. If Kate would have won that Oscar, it just would have felt so weird in the room. Not just because every other component of that movie practically had won. And to leave Michelle out of that would feel wrong. But also, I mean, for Michelle to get so close and to just not get that in the end, I think would have been really tough. And I think that there are plenty of times when there are multiple great nominees and only one can win. So, yeah, I feel like overall with Actress, despite, you know, being a champion for Tar, I am happy with the overall outcome for sure. I agree. I think 
Michelle winning was the right win. And I'm, I'm happy that Michelle won. For me in this, for this question with Banshees, so Banshees would have been my, um, my vote for best picture. I think maybe I'm, I have a little less skin in this game because Tar and the Fablemans were also both of your number ones of the year. So there's, there's like extra personal stake in it, but it sounds like with both of those, and then also with Banshees, at least going into the night, I think all three of us probably felt like we probably wouldn't be walking away with any wins. Maybe one. Like, Kate was probably the closest of anything. And then I, I had my fingers crossed for Carrie. But that was oh, probably... Right, like, that. that's probably about it. So I think that can feel okay the day after, even though they didn't win anything. I think if one of us was a big Elvis stan then it might be a different story and someone (laughs) might be miserable. It's a whole other problem. I feel bad for the Elvis stands. I actually really do. Because that is just the, that's the worst, worst feeling, I think. Yeah. If you expect wins and then they don't happen. For Banshees, I actually am really mad that Colin Farrell didn't win. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I'm angry, but the narrative wasn't that, like, going into the night, it didn't seem like he had an Mm -hmm. option, right? So I wasn't, I wasn't like let down in that moment because mm. he wasn't the winner. I was let yeah. down for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. So many water Sh- metaphors. The only movie that I saw in Venice that won an Oscar was two Oscars <gasps> oh for God. the whale. I'm so <laughs> upset. I'm so upset. <laughs> and it was after it being like, I mean, the, obviously the only Venice I've been to, but it was high highs and low lows out of that Venice like yeah I was at the premiere of The Whale Blonde The Sun and there were there were others those are probably the the big three like bombs (laughs) can only Um, go up from here yeah so kind of upset that The Whale is the only thing I saw there that that won anything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah The Whale having two Oscars that was really the worst thing that could have happened to me (laughs) last night and it did so (laughs) I guess we just have to laugh about it and know that those wins will age very poorly, I think, over time. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Especially that makeup win. Wowza. <sighs> yeah. I mean, we'll, get to, we'll talk about the telecast, but the visuals of that makeup win. Right. That they used. Just salt in the wound. Yeah. Yeah. The other question here from the futurist. Nick, would you smash Harry Shum Jr.? Would any of us not? I think that's the better question. Yeah, I think I don't think he's really a pass. <laughs> yeah, there's no chance that he's a pass. Yeah. Passing is happening. Smashing <laughs> smashing since glee. Smashing I was gonna since say glee. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Bennett, we've never played Smash or Pass with you. I know. I've played, trust me, but oh, <laughs> yelling. <laughs> and we did have a question from Isabel. She asked if you could recognize any nominated film that was shut out, what would it be? Should we say not Tar, the Fablemans, or Banshees? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is tricky. I mean, my real answer would be, like, I would have loved EO to win international feature. We know that. But I think my real answer is Elvis. I've really done a 180 on this movie, <laughs> and I don't know. I think it deserves an Oscar somewhere, whether it's for Catherine Martin or for Austin Butler over Brendan Fraser. I would have loved that. Um, cinematography. I think Mandy Walker would have been a great winner. So I'll say Elvis. 
so my answer was EO for international feature. I think since we since we talked, EO got added to the Criterion channel and I got to watch it. It is my number one of 2022. So... Yes, Bennett. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have given it the win. I mean, it, there was it had no mm-hmm. chance, but it was the type of movie that after I watched it, I needed to go lie face down on my bed for 20 minutes. Yeah. And that is how I know that it's my number one. Like that happened, I knew that that happened when I saw Under the Skin 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I had similar, similar feelings after watching EO. So I would have loved that to win. Never was going to happen, but if only. I'm so happy that you loved EO. After I saw EO, I walked like 30 blocks <laughs> and didn't realize it. <laughs> I had, I watched it, I watched it in my basement. So I would have, maybe I could have just like paced the room. I don't mm-hmm. know. Oh my god, so good. I think my answer, one would be close, an international. I kind of mm. think of, you know, when these international films, I can't really say sweet, but they take multiple awards. I would like the international feature Oscar to go to a different movie than that. Because it happened at the BAFTAs too, and I was like, okay, they love it. But give that award to something else, since it's winning so many others, I don't know. I mean, that was never going to happen. I love that movie. I guess I'll say the Batman. Like, if that one makeup, that would have been really cool. The clip they used for Colin Farrell during the telecast was really cool, too. I like that. When they played it, when they were reading off the sound nominees, and they played all, like, little sound clips, and the Batman win, I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. maybe the Batman should win. I liked that movie. <laughs> you know, to kind of, like, late, like, at the very end, it's been like, oh, I'm glad I got nominee nominations. <laughs> yeah. That's a good movie. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the telecast. So this year we had a champagne carpet instead of a red carpet. Awful. First thoughts. There we go. Awful. I agree. Totally unnecessary. Champagne. Just dirty. Dingy. Dirty. dirty. Yes. Ugh, it's what like was a the bad reason basement. again? What was the reason? <laughs> what was the reason? But actually. What was the reason? No, I, I actually don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know, and I don't think that I don't think that stylists were informed in advance. Oh. Definitely not, because everyone was wearing white. Mm-hmm. Four out of the five Best Actress nominees were wearing white, or a shade of white. Oh my god, like that would have popped so great on the red carpet. Uh-huh. Oh if Andrea god. Riseborough just like lied on her back on that carpet, it would just look like a little wig, like a little like crew cut wig, <laughs> just lying there, and everyone would have stepped on her. I Oof. love how she was sitting in her seat in a leather jacket. <laughs> yes, great with the black leather jacket. <laughs> yes. I didn't see her until the actress nominees were announced. It kind of took me aback. I screamed when I saw her on the red carpet, just because (laughs) the whole thing was so funny. We talked about it so much, and then I totally forgot about it until (laughs) (laughs) she appeared. She looked like she was having a great time. She was very happy for Michelle. Mm -hmm. She was happy to be there, and I'm happy for her. (laughs) Me too. Did you guys have any favorite red carpet looks? I thought everyone just looked overwhelmingly great. I loved Eva Longoria. I think Nicole Kidman looks smashing. Love Nicole. Nicole She looked like a star. <laughs> on one. It was... Yes, she was. She just such a movie star. Mm-hmm. I screenshotted I, I a couple of her best, uh, like, literal visual, like, eye looks from, the, <laughs> from that little clip. And we'll be using them as, you know, reactions mm-hmm. and stuff. And then I would say Janelle Monet. I thought it was yeah. stunning. The contrast with the mm-hmm. orange. Oh, God. She always looks good. 
I love Jessica Chastain. I thought she looked mm-hmm. gorgeous. And I just, I didn't like her purple dress last year with the ponytail, but I loved the green with her hair down to the side that she wore to the after party. So mm-hmm. I just, I love her in those sort of like strapless classic Hollywood silhouettes. She looks so, so mm-hmm. pretty. So I would say her. Um, there were, yeah, I mean, a lot of people looked looked really good. I didn't love all of the white. Just mi- reminded me of Bridal a little bit. But I did think that Michelle looked great when she went up on stage. Like It just was like a winning dress for her. And Angela Bassett looks amazing oh, in purple. Incredible. That is her. It was so that, good. I mean, she looks perfect in everything, but the purple really was stunning, I think. And a quick off the beaten path selection jesse buckley you guys see jesse buckley in full sailor moon villain (laughs) drag Mm -hmm. Um, i usually think she looks pretty bad if with with a lot of her style choices but this was like she was it was still so her style but she went edge and big and it was beautiful someone said castlevania well, I saw the Coppola Dracula for the first time this weekend, and it really was taking me back to that experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then with the telecast itself, viewership went up. So we had 18.7 million viewers, and that's up 12% from last year. But in general, what did you guys think of the telecast? I thought it really was a return to decorum, I'll call it. It mm-hmm. felt like they were really responding to what happened last year. And I had forgotten, I think, how bad last year's telecast was. Just how there was no intention behind any of the decisions. They were inviting athletes to present tributes to films they hadn't been in before. The music choices were bad. They presented those categories off air. I forgot just, just how terrible all of that felt. Until we, you know, return to this bit of normalcy. And it felt so much better, I think, because it was really well produced. And I think in the past two years that we've done the show and we've talked about the Oscars, we've had the, and the winner is Anthony Hopkins, cut to black, and the travesty of last year. So we've really been through it with the ceremonies (laughs) recently. And this, I think, felt much more like what we're accustomed to. I think that they played it maybe a little too safe like there could have been some some more fun and pizzazz and hollywood star power in how they were talking about the categories and presenting there was sort of a big lull in the middle when all quiet started to win all of those categories back to back but overall i i really enjoyed it and i liked all the little nerdy things like the editing where they showed like the woman behind editing on that old machine like so weird (laughs) but i love that nerdy stuff so i just want more of it in the 60s when we would have those outlandish costume design presentations like i want more of that in the telecast so i feel like it was a step in the right direction at least i felt like the people who produced the show cared more about movies than the people who produced it last year yeah i agree it it was the people on stage doing you know mimicking or Mm -hmm. miming editing michael b jordan and jonathan majors lowering a camera into the floor yeah right (laughs) like that was cool like it was it was quick and it was kind of inconsequential but it was a nice little thing having the costumes on mannequins on stage during costume design do that that's not hard so yeah i liked all of that i think the 
I don't know how I feel about having when they did the acting awards so quickly back to back with yeah. the presenters not even leaving stage that there was no room to breathe between them. I think it's a good, probably a good producer's note for the sake of brevity to, you know, you don't need people to walk off stage and get announced and walk back on stage. And like, that's nice. But the high, high of uh, Kihue Kwan winning, the only time I've been emotional at any of his speeches was last night. And I don't know, like I've been touched Same. before, but I think it was when, honestly, it was when Ariana DeBose's voice broke reading his name. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure was very, like, an honest and true emotion. She is also, she might have been doing the thing, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she loves the stage. But it seemed to, ref, like, really reflect everyone's mood and that everyone was immediately up. I was crying. And then there's no break. We're into supporting actress. And even before the name is announced, I, we're already into the most up-in-the-air acting category mm-hmm. of the night. So I needed a second to pivot before things came crashing down. Yeah. Well, and then right after Jamie Lee Curtis wins, we go right into Sophia Carson singing the Diane Warren song. (laughs) That is salt in the wound. That was, (laughs) that was like, oh, you were, (laughs) we crash landed you. Now we're going to, you know, pour gasoline over the fire. Yeah, I will say I also sobbed during Key's speech, and I was emotional at the Globes, but not since then, and I, like, cried a lot, and I really wasn't expecting it because we've seen him be emotional all season, and it's Uh like, okay, this is the sixth time you've won an award or whatnot, but he's just so endearing every time. Like, it got me, and Mm -hmm. him saying it was the American dream gave me chills, and then later to see him once they went up for picture and he's hugging Harrison Ford. It was like, oh, it's just so sweet. And all of that cast, seeing Stephanie Hsu cry time and time again throughout the telecast. I felt like one time she was crying. She looked up and kind of like waved the camera away. Yeah. Because <laughs> she was just so emotional for her team. And I think that love, seeing that, And their love for each other was also part of what made it so emotional. We did get a listener question about this from Daniel B. Was this ceremony with a relatively tasteful monologue, reverent presentations of each category, a few host interstitials, but not too many bits, and well-staged song performances, the blueprint moving forward? I think blueprint is a good word for it. Maybe it's the foundation moving forward. I think they'll try to get things creative again and take some risks at some point but maybe not for another year or two i think overall it was just very mild i would like some more spice in things i mean they can only do so much like they have to fit everything in but even the in memoriam felt kind of bland to me and they broke it up into two segments i was like wait what's happening he's still singing and I feel like they barely showed anybody. So it just like felt kind of messy overall. And like the cocaine bear thing was just so unnecessary. I got like Elizabeth Banks being there. Great. I love that. But it just went on for too long. Like they have to test these bits out, keep it tight, fit everything in and keep it moving. The fact that they're elongating things like they expected it to be three and a half hours. I was like, oh boy, we're in for a long night. Yeah. 
I feel like, yeah, I agree. This will be the blueprint for sure. And I think it is probably the best way to do the show. I was more mixed on Jimmy Kimmel, I think, than some other people were that I was just kind of seeing online, just the response to it. I think some of his jokes were great and others felt specifically the jokes related to the slap. I was just like, do we need to keep doing this? Do we need to keep laboring this? Mm -hmm. Like, let's let's move on. Let's Mm -hmm. not. And like, I never like the bits when they go out into the audience. I'm aware that they have to change what's happening on the stage and they have to get ready for musical performances but i don't know the bit with malala i was like i I really don't need this awful she was like why are you doing this to me like what is happening so i don't know i don't know what the solution is i feel like i'm just nostalgic for some of the old hosts of the past like watching some of the old ceremonies with like billy crystal like Mm -hmm. that's just i feel Mm -hmm. like the gold standard and while Kimmel did not do as badly as I feared, I was really worried he was going to say things like, no one saw any of these movies or no one went to theaters this year, make jokes like that. And he refrained yeah. from that, which I thought was good. I was happy about that. Yeah, I agree. I didn't get any sense of disdain for award shows from him yeah. this time. There was a couple like, oh, it's going to be long, but mm-hmm. nothing more than that. So right. that was that was nice. So what were some of your favorite moments from the night? I kind of mentioned a few, but... I was really excited when Sarah Polly won Adapted Screenplay. That was Mm -hmm. one of the few times during the telecast where I cheered and was really excited. Just because seeing her win an Oscar when I fully expected it at that point to go to All Quiet, that was really exciting and really cool. And she was genuinely surprised. And that movie has had just such a tough road all season so to see her win at the end of that I thought was was really cool and I would say just another lighter moment that I really liked I loved just I love seeing Colin Farrell wink at Jenny (laughs) or (laughs) the stand-in Jenny on stage right and this is a third one sorry since that was a quick one my favorite chaotic moment was whatever was happening with Lady Gaga during her performance because that was jarring and we needed some sort of shocking moment to take place at this telecast that wasn't too much. Like, it wasn't La La Land getting announced instead of Moonlight, but it was Lady Gaga who had come in in full glam suddenly not wearing any makeup at all with a French braid in a black t-shirt, skinny jeans, and converse. I have no idea. And the camera just like zooming in oh on her God. face. I was yeah. like, what is just, going just on like here? Just like into her pupil. It was so close. <laughs> it was so she would, close. She would move and there would be nothing in the frame because it she just so like close. shifted. <laughs> yeah, that was great. She was wearing like yeah. the same outfit from that, that viral video of um, her during like rehearsals where she's... She's yeah. like yelling at one of her sound people that, yeah, just very short time. Just nice. Good for her. I'm glad she was there. Me too. I'll, I'll say a silly one. You mentioned the Malala bit when, when Jimmy Kimmel was out interviewing her and Jimmy starts to walk and he's looking for Jessica Chastain because clearly he knew that she was next. But the camera pans to a point where Nicole Kidman enters the frame and 
you can see she's fully you can see everything she is staring daggers at jimmy as he it looks like he's walking towards her she's staring daggers at him in such fear in her eyes he turns to the to the aisle behind her and finds jessica and while still in frame nicole kidman goes oh thank god and turns (laughs) away from jimmy and laughs at the person next to her who was not Keith. Oh my God. It was some, probably a seat filler, but you got to find it if, if you can. I, I noticed it live and then I found the, the clip online afterwards, but she's so thrilled that he didn't come to her. And it just reminded me of the Indie Spirits when Kate Blanchett hit under the table. Oh my God. Because no one likes crowd bits and they need to stop mm-hmm. doing unplanned crowd bits. I hate it so much. So that, that was probably, I mean, other than, you know, winners and stuff, that was my favorite thing that happened. My other favorite presenter moment was with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and she comes out. I mean, she was funny. Like we need these comedians to actually host. Like we had Regina Hall last year, just kill it. And I loved that they were also matching her and Paul Dano, but I just loved her bit. Like they have like the best dressed woman in Hollywood present this award every year. (laughs) It's like, oh, just so perfect. (laughs) She's so great. She should host the Oscars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she should. She was genuinely emotional when she presented it to Ruth Carter for Wakanda Forever. And I was like, oh, like, I don't know when she has ever worked with Ruth Carter or like when, <laughs> you know, like I was like, it, does she just, is she just like really, like I get it. Ruth, Ruth is a legend. Like she's the only black woman who has won two Oscars now. Crazy. Um, Mm-hmm. And, like, is, is she just emotional for this moment? She comes up and she's, like, hugging her and kissing her and, and like, really sad. And then I, like, looked it up later on the collaborations um, search option on IMDb. I was, like, what have they been in together? Have they done anything? And it was <laughs> fucking Wakanda forever. <laughs> it was Did the you movie that it? she had won for. Yes, I saw it. <laughs> Who remembers her in it? <laughs> she looks like Michelle Visage in it. Yes. <laughs> Like an Ursula with that purple hair. (laughs) Yeah. I think we do have to mention, like, Michelle winning Best Actress. I was just so stressed for this Mm -hmm. the whole night. I mean, just because Halle Berry was also there presenting. And I really just didn't want them to get this moment wrong. Because Halle Berry, of course, like, first woman of color to win Best Actress. And she has had to hold on to that and to everything that that means for a very long time now and now she is the first but she's not the only and that I think was a big deal and getting to see them on stage together I thought was was really emotional and this was I think if a lot of people had to pick a favorite win from the night they would pick this one I do think that of all of the wins that took place at the Oscars this is the most at least one of the most meaningful wins that we have for Mm -hmm. sure also daniel shiner thanking his teachers by name as a former teacher Mm -hmm. i appreciated it (laughs) and everyone should always thank their teachers it's important and shouting out that he did drag when he was younger or like you know that he like dressed up when he was younger and Mm -hmm. how that's a normal thing for anyone to be able to do that was appreciated yeah Okay, now we just have some other listener questions that we can mention. Our first one from Joe Lorenzini. 
are we entering a new era of the Oscars where they no longer spread the wealth, but pick one film and give it all they can? Like Coda last year, history provides no guide. I also think we can pair this sort of with the next question from Roy Mao, which is, is SAG the best precursor now, or is it just because it's closer to the Oscars this year? So just in general, a conversation about like what we saw with the precursors, what happened really, because a lot of stats were broken again and sort of like Joe is mentioning, like, does history really provide a guide to what will happen? I kind of touched on it earlier uh, when I was just talking about the season in general, where it seems like the past couple years, we're in a point where voters are going all in on a movie that they love. And a lot of them are swelling around the same films. I think if like Coda last year, if the timing had been a little different, if it had gotten more nominations, it probably would have won those as well. I think if, yeah, like giving Sean Hader the adapted screenplay win was was sort of a like, well, we love the movie and you did, you were the writer director, so we're going to reward you here, but we probably would also want to reward you in director. So I feel like it's a, we're in a point where the past couple of years it has been about passion rather than spreading it out. So I can see that continuing going forward. I think part of it for me was also timing. I mentioned how I thought about the BAFTAs and how much they loved All Quiet and how much weight I put that on looking at the Oscars and trying to think of the Academy body as a whole. A lot of the guilds this year too were either split on those bigger ceremonies. Then you kind of just had to think of the placement of things and A good example of this is Jamie Lee, where I think her speech has really helped her. And SAG being so close to Academy voting, I think that was what put her over the edge. And in thinking back to last year, the timing was just totally different. So I don't know if things are going to keep changing in the future, and that will keep things much more up in the air in terms of how we look at award season and what's going to happen at the Oscars. But if things are standardized, eventually we'll start to get a better idea. But I think it just depends. I'm not going to like put a, a list of, oh, this is first and then comes BAFTA. And I think it just we have to feel things out. And as things are changing, we talked about everything everywhere before and the type of movie it is. There's no one answer, at least for me. Yeah, I think that what I keep coming back to and what I really need to focus on sometimes with predictions is that momentum feels so much more important than what's happened in the past statistically. So for example, like you could look at this year with screenplay and say, well, a BAFTA, usually one of the BAFTA wins translates in screenplay. So I have to pick one from here and one from there and stuff like that. I mean, Sometimes it works, but a lot of times, like, voters don't think about that. Voters just vote for what they want to vote for, and you have to really follow that momentum. And I don't know if SAG is necessarily the best precursor, but this year it certainly was a key precursor because that was where a lot of the love for Everything Everywhere came through, and it also was in a really key point in the season. So I think they do matter. I also think with the spreading the wealth part of it versus picking one film, I think there are two ways to look at it. I think that sometimes laziness plays in. And sometimes we see that in tech categories where people will just, they'll just vote for one film in all of them. And I think 
That's different, though, than the above the line wins, where you can sense genuine passion for a film. Like, the things that Coda, Parasite, and Everything Everywhere have in common is that they won everywhere they could, really, at the Oscars because they had so much passion. Like, Parasite picking up picture, director, screenplay, Everything Everywhere's performance, Coda last year. Like, if they like a movie, they will vote for it, and they, bottom line, end of the day, want to feel good about who they are voting for. Last year, they felt better about voting for CODA than they did The Power of the Dog. They really wanted to vote for Everything Everywhere. They wanted to vote for Parasite. You have to find the films, I think, that voters, where it makes them feel good to select that film or that name. So Mm -hmm. sometimes that means winning many, if it's just the clear passion pick. And I'd like to hear from a, like a sociologist to talk about if there's anything to the, the two best picture winners post COVID lockdown being the ones that are the family of people on the circuit and about this like group of people who are lighting up the room and are in love with each other and are energy energy and it's about them being together that was coda that was the big story of coda and why it seemed to charm so many people was how well it was doing in the room like the, the actual cast together in the room and then same with everything everywhere that they really seem to have made a family and i'm i'm interested if there's anything there of you know, seeing that and being around that and that influencing your vote. I would love to see that too. Another question we had from Nicole Ackman. She asked, which of these wins do you think will age the best? I think Michelle of of the whole night, I think Michelle's win will age the best. I agree. Of all of the acting wins in particular, mm-hmm. she gave, in my opinion, the best performance of the four. Yeah, I think if it were for the performance or if it were for the win itself and the competition, it's Michelle either way. Of the other nominees, like, I don't know. When I look back, it's not like I know how things were doing in the season compared to who won. So it's like Avatar winning here was obviously happening, but that's a good win. And mm-hmm. I think my other technical win is everything everywhere winning editing. I think mm-hmm. things could have gone very differently this year. And yes, Tar is there and we love Tar and you know, the subtlety and Banshees and other films. But I think overall, this win, I was also very happy with. And then our last question from Kevin Jacobson. With Yo, Fraser, Curtis, and Quan all winning, what other actors who made it big in the 80s and 90s but never received a prior Oscar nomination would you like to see getting some award season attention next? Who's your number one, Sophia? Because he's also on mine. Oh, I want to hear who you have then. <laughs> Well, he's not my number one, but I think it's one that's super overdue. It's Donald Sutherland. Yes. So I didn't, I, he's on my list, but I see him so much as like a seventies guy. So it's like, you know, (laughs) yes, he's very overdue and I want him to have something so badly. Like he Mm -hmm. is my number one probably ever who doesn't have one and should have one. But the first person that came to my mind who has been in the conversation recently but it didn't pan out was Delroy Lindo. I really want him to have a successful campaign. And I feel like we got so close with the five bloods and that was a great performance and it just didn't translate to Oscar, which was 
really brutal. So I hope that he can be in another movie soon and can get some award season attention because he's put in great work over mm-hmm. his career. I have more too, but Bennett, go ahead. Um, honestly, my first thought was Annie McDowell. I think she needs to get back on that stage. No idea what she could ever win for. But I think that when used correctly, she, I, she's in, just a joy to watch and really interesting to watch. So I would like her to get a vehicle that's not on Hallmark these days. Mm-hmm. Some other ones I had were Jim Carrey, Nathan Lane, Steve Martin. One that I would love to see, there are two that have been nominated but not in acting. Those are Julie Delpy and Jeff Goldblum. Oh, yeah, because Julie, I, I always that. forget she was... Um, nominated for before for screenplay mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and jeff was nominated in live action short which was surprising to read <laughs> interesting i also would love for cameron diaz to fully come out of retirement mm. and be recognized yep. <laughs> a lot of them are a lot of the people i started thinking of were like women in comedies and rom-coms of the era who were sort of in roles in a similar way to Jamie Lee Curtis, honestly, like genre movies. And because of that, weren't ever taken seriously by the Academy. Claire Danes, for that matter. She's been yeah. more in TV, but I feel like she could really be up on that stage to me more. I also just started coming up with women who were nominated once, but it's been a really long time since they were nominated, specifically Sharon Stone and Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. We need Academy renaissances for them, mm-hmm. specifically. Pam Greer, too, who should have won for Jackie Brown. Oh, that'd be great. Okay, so we'll quickly wrap up our award season fantasy draft, and we'll just read off the standings, how everything shook out. In fifth place, with 166 points, we had False Chronicle of a Handful of Good Predictions. That was Eric Anderson and Ryan McQuaid's team. In fourth place, with 217 points... We had Film Bitch Maverick. That was Nathaniel Rogers' team. In third place, with 276 points, we had Hot Chaotic Leos. That was Chelsea and Morgan's team. All right, drum roll, everyone. Down to our final two <laughs> places. In second place, with 301 points, we had Triangle of Radness. That was Cody Derrick's, his team. And the winner, with 362 points, the ghost of Bronco Henry. He came roaring back. That was our team. We won again. <laughs> Rigged. I, know. I speak for all of them. <laughs> it's a I, sham. I don't know how it happens, really, because this year we did luck into it. We had some bad picks. We picked Sam Mendes for wild card. We picked Bardo. But we had Kate Blanchett. We had we doubled on Brendan Fraser, which paid off. Whoa. And we had everything everywhere all at once. It was just really funny to see and to think back on how these picks panned out. Like I mentioned before, everything everywhere for us was the seventh movie pick overall during the fifth round. And it was our final movie pick. So thinking back to the mindset and the landscape of things at the time, it was just so different. And looking at the draft and how things happened on the night, like Nathaniel did really well with nominations, Mm -hmm. but he only had one win come through with Black Panther for costumes. So to see that happen, like it's crazy. Yeah. 
he also picked Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway. Like that Ooh, was a great right. straight steal early. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I think it was, it was fun again just to see how it, how it panned out. I think just to wrap up final thoughts on the season on Oscar night. How are you guys feeling? I think it was nice. I'm glad that it was, we have maybe less to freak out about than we have over the past couple of years. It's a nice mm-hmm. little break, but mm-hmm. um, I also think the best picture lineup this year was like pound for pound for me, at least the best of the past three years. So that was nice. I didn't, I didn't think there was like a clunker in it in anywhere in there. So yeah, I'm, I'm generally positive. Yeah. Everything everywhere was the movie of the year and it was at the Oscars. We can't really complain about that. When we think back on this year, in 10 years, I think this year overall is going to age very well. And I'll still think of those winners that didn't win anything, but I'm not really upset. I think whether we distanced ourselves from certain nominees, maybe more so in the past, overall, it was a great year. I'm happy. I'm glad it's over and we can eventually look look forward to next year in like four or five months. But until then the dust will settle. Yeah, I'm like just pretty happy about things. Sophia, what about you? Yeah, I think for this year, last year was so stressful and it was very just it was very heightened. I was very invested in a lot of races and this year was kind of nice to take a step back and think about the Oscars a little bit differently and yes, like they caused me fury again, of course, in some ways, but I think I'm choosing to focus on the positive wins and not the negative for once, which is very healthy for me, I think. And yeah, I mean, I'm just excited. You know, we, we've we completed our third season of this show, which is crazy to say that we've had so many great episodes and wonderful listeners out there. So thank you so much to all of our listeners. We are so appreciative that you tune in every week and send in your questions and engage with us on Twitter and Instagram. It really is great. It warms my heart and I'm excited for the next season. I am putting away my Lydia Tarr inspired menswear for now and it'll come back next year with Maestro where I have to prepare for another (laughs) conducting movie. (laughs) You guys aren't ready for a Bradley Cooper season with me yet. just kidding we had licorice pizza and even that was like five <laughs> minutes of him what are we gonna do when he has a whole movie where oh, he's god. directing producing acting god anyway i'm not gonna worry about that just yet but just something funny to look forward to um but yeah again thank you everyone i had a lot of fun this season and i'm excited mm-hmm. to yeah take a break from 2022 movies watch some old movies I've never seen before. Watch the Isabel Huppert series on the Criterion channel. Yeah, and get into just the old swing of things like off-season, fun movies, retrospectives, anniversaries. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, speaking of anniversaries, we're starting off our fourth season in a few weeks in April talking about Casablanca and its 80th anniversary. I think this is such a bang to start the season on and... I am so excited to watch it again. It's been a long time. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited for this episode. So we're going to take a few weeks off like we do after the Oscars. Just take a little break. And then, yeah, dive into what I think is one of the greatest 
Best Picture winners, one of my favorite screenplays of all time. I can't wait to talk about it. I saw it in theaters on New Year's Day, and it was the perfect way to start 2023. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited to cover this. I think it'll be a lot of fun and the perfect way to kick off our fourth season. Fourth seasons are really big. Like Mad Men season four is great. The Sopranos <laughs> season four is really good. So I have the high Americans, hopes for us. It's the best season of the Americans. Yes, Amazing. it is the best season of the Americans. There we go. So yeah, it'll be great. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in this season, tuning into our show. Again, if you like our show, feel free to rate, review, and follow. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod. And for bonus content on patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde, we'll be releasing our Oscar winner, Jamie Lee Curtis episode very shortly. And we'll have more content throughout the next season, I think more regularly featuring it on the main feed as well. Thank you again, Bennett, for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.